Hello, listeners. This is Iris, and this is the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, February 21st. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Let's start with the weather forecast for today, this coming from KCRG. Still quite warm, but changes are coming soon. Temperatures are set to soar again today, though we will experience a temporary downturn in those readings in the near future. Many areas will start quite warm today, with morning temperatures in the 30s to low 40s. For this time of year, that's well above the 10s you might expect for morning lows, and provides a good starting point for a warm day. There will be a couple of limiting factors for today, including less distinctly southerly winds as the day goes on and increasing amounts of clouds. Despite this, we should be able to reach the upper 50s to mid-60s from north to south, making for another very pleasant day. As a storm system passes just to our south tonight, we could see a few areas of showers develop. Those south of U.S. Highway 20 have the best chance for this to occur, though even that chance will be fairly slim. A rumble of thunder or two is also possible with this activity. If rain develops, it should diminish or move out of the area by daybreak on Thursday. Temperatures overnight only drop into the upper 30s to low 40s. Cooler air will begin to pour into eastern Iowa behind the storm system, but it will take a little bit of time. As a result, many areas on Thursday will still make it toward the mid to upper 50s. Winds will start to pick up from the northwest and become blustery, which eventually leads to chillier conditions by Friday into Saturday. Even these will be at least several degrees above normal in the 40s, so will likely be fairly tolerable despite ongoing breezy conditions. We'll resume that much warmer weather as soon as Sunday, when the highs could again approach or exceed 60 degrees in some spots. We'll only head upward from there, pushing temperatures well into mid to upper 60s on Monday and Tuesday. Some areas could threaten to exceed 70 degrees, and both days carry the potential for records to fall. This warm-up is part of a more active weather pattern, which will include a couple of storm systems moving through the region over the course of a few days. The first will set the stage with warmer temperatures and increased moisture levels, giving us a slight chance for a few showers and storms as soon as Monday night. Additional showers or storms could take place on Tuesday as the first storm system passes by and out of the area. The second storm system next week will develop on the plains and pass through central Missouri into the Great Lakes region. This path will give eastern Iowa a chance at some rain by Tuesday night into Wednesday. If enough cold air moves in behind this system, which appears fairly likely, then at least some snow may mix in with the backside of it on Wednesday before it exits. This stretch of time could still change a bit as it is several days away, so it'll be worth keeping an eye on for potential impacts for our part of the world. Now, turning to the front page of The Courier, we have two articles to read, and the first one is titled, Competing Tax Reform Proposals Advanced by Iowa Republicans. 
Tom Barton wrote the story, and the dateline is Des Moines. Iowa Senate Republicans advanced Governor Kim Reynolds's legislation that would accelerate previously planned state income tax reductions. But the top Senate Republican on tax policy said legislators in the coming weeks also will advance their own proposal, which includes an eventual elimination of the state income tax. Republicans on a Senate subcommittee Monday advanced Senate Study Bill 3038, the governor's proposed tax bill that would speed up state individual income tax cuts passed two years ago, provide a property tax cut for commercial child care centers, and lower taxes that businesses pay to fund benefits for unemployed workers. Senator Dan Dawson, Republican from Council Bluffs, the Republican who leads the Senate Ways and Means Committee, told reporters those components will be considered as separate bills in the coming weeks, along with his own bill, Senate Study Bill 3141, to gradually eliminate the state individual income tax. Reynolds' bill would accelerate income tax cuts passed in 2022 that started to take effect this year, as is, the law would gradually reduce personal income taxes to a flat 3.9% in 2026. The governor this year proposed lowering the state income tax retroactively to 3.65% this year and 3.5% next year. The proposal would reduce Iowans' state income taxes and thus limit future state revenue growth by $3.8 billion over the first five years. Quote, Despite the tax cuts already delivered, Iowa ended the year with a $1.83 billion surplus, $902 million in reserve funds, and $2.7 billion in the Taxpayer Relief Fund. Molly Severn, the governor's legislative liaison, said during the subcommittee meeting, quote, The state is over-collecting from Iowans, and they deserve to keep more of their hard-earned money, unquote. House and Senate Democrat leaders have said further income tax cuts would disproportionately benefit the wealthy, while leaving hundreds of thousands of Iowans who pay no income taxes with little to no benefits. Reynolds's office estimates a family of four with an income of about $79,000 would see a tax savings of more than 25% under her proposal, a single mother of two making about $47,500 would see an average tax savings of more than 42%. Taxpayer Relief Fund The tax cuts would be paid for using one-time money in the Taxpayer Relief Fund. Dawson and Representative Bobby Kaufman, Republican from Wilton, have proposed investing that money and using the profits to ratchet down the state income tax rate over time putting Iowa on a path to eliminate the individual income tax. If the trust fund has sufficient dollars and sales tax growth hits a certain trigger, the income tax rates will be automatically reduced. Dawson emphasized the importance of responsible management of the taxpayer relief fund and the need for fiscal notes and a larger public dialogue to ensure responsible decision-making on how best to use the state's budget surplus. Quote, we're talking about one-time money, 
and when it's gone, it's gone, Dawson said. While calling the governor's bill a bold plan, he said Senate Republicans will start to advance their own legislation in the next couple of weeks. Quote, and I really do think it's important that we do get fiscal notes for both these pieces of legislation and have a larger public dialogue, Dawson said. Dawson added, quote, We owe it to Iowa, since we've accumulated these monies in the Taxpayers' Relief Fund, to really kind of think through responsibly what a long-term plan is, unquote. Officials representing Iowa business and taxpayer advocacy groups applauded the governor's bill. Quote, it's important to note that all of this is based on a firm foundation of fiscal discipline and the work that you all have done to make sure that the tax reform packages in the past and the ones that are considered this year are always going to be sustainable and forward-looking, said Chris Hagenow, president of Iowans for Tax Relief. Quote, we think this is going to make Iowa much more competitive and allow Iowans to keep more of their hard-earned dollars and make Iowa a much better place to live, work, and raise a family. Democrats respond. The governor's bill also calls for lowering taxes that businesses pay to fund benefits for unemployed workers. Under her proposal, Iowa would cut the taxable wage base in half and reduce unemployment taxes by about 40%. Reynolds's office estimated that will save Iowa employers more than $800 million over five years. Quote, helping companies of all sizes prosper, especially small businesses, Severn said, and making Iowa more competitive, unquote. State Minority Leader Pam Jokum, a Democrat from Dubuque, who served on the subcommittee, said Reynolds's plan would unfairly shift the tax burden to lower-income individuals and families while providing significant tax cuts to the wealthy. Jokum and representatives for Common Good Iowa and the Iowa Federation of Labor, AFL-CIO, emphasized the need to invest in quality-of-life issues to attract new workers to the state. They also worried that Iowa's Unemployment Trust Fund will face challenges in the long term if faced with a downturn in the economy and business tax rates aren't increased to keep the trust fund alive. Jokum said business leaders in Iowa are asking for investment in quality-of-life issues to attract new workers. While child care workers are struggling with low wages and difficulty filling positions. Annie Dishier, Executive Director of Common Good Iowa, a liberal advocacy organization, said lawmakers' proposals would, quote, blow a huge hole in the budget, unquote. Quote, under the 2022 tax changes that are being implemented, we already face enormous revenue threats in education, health care, and other services that help Iowans succeed, Disher told lawmakers on Monday. And of course, this bill will make things worse and worse faster and will cost about $1.7 billion this year. Unquote. Iowa lost $57 million in tax revenue in 2022-23 and will lose close to $5 billion over the next five years, about 7.8% of the state's general fund according to a report by the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, a progressive think tank 
that analyzes the impact of federal and state government budget policies. Jokum asserted, cutting the income tax won't generate enough economic activity to make up for revenue losses and force the state to rely more heavily on regressive sales taxes or property taxes to bring in significant revenue. Quote, so I would hope that we're going to slow this down and really spend a lot of time dissecting it and really understanding the long-term impact that is going to have on our state in the years to come, Jokum said. Longer post-birth care would be available to fewer under the bill. This story was written by Aaron Murphy of the Courier's Des Moines Bureau. Dateline Des Moines. Roughly 1,700 Iowa mothers and infants would lose their Medicaid coverage for post-birth care under legislation that would also expand the period of time that care is covered for the Iowans who would remain eligible. The proposal, which came from Governor Kim Reynolds, was approved Monday in the Iowa Senate. The legislation, Senate File 2251, would extend postpartum care for Medicaid patients in Iowa from two months to 12 months, but it also would reduce eligibility for Medicaid postpartum care from 375% of federal poverty line to 215%. Reynolds said she crafted the proposal to make it cost neutral. In 2024, 375% of the federal poverty level is $76,650 for a family of two or $117,000 for a family of four. At 215% of the federal poverty level, eligibility for Medicaid postpartum coverage would be capped at roughly $44,000 for a family of two or $67,000 for a family of four. The changes prescribed in the bill would result in 1,300 women and 400 infants in Iowa losing insurance coverage, according to analysis by the state's nonpartisan Legislative Services Agency. Quote, Senate Democrats believe that we should not be taking care away from pregnant moms and their babies. Senator Janet Peterson, a Democrat from Des Moines, said during debate, quote, the governor does not put one dime of new money in her bill to extend postpartum coverage. She pays for extending postpartum coverage for a few members that still remain eligible for pregnancy care by dropping thousands of pregnant moms and their babies off of Medicaid, unquote. Peterson proposed an amendment that would have expanded Medicaid postpartum care from two months to 12 months and kept the eligibility level at the current 375% of the federal poverty level. That was defeated on a party-line vote, with majority party Republicans voting against it. Quote, the bill expands Medicaid coverage for Iowans who need public assistance. Senator Mark Costello, a Republican from Emilgene, who managed the bill, said during debate, quote, Iowans do not support Medicaid for all, unquote. The Federal American Rescue Plan, passed in 2021 as part of the Biden administration's pandemic response efforts, allowed states to provide postpartum Medicaid coverage up to 12 months. As of this month, 
Iowa was one of three states to not yet submit such a plan, according to LSA. Quote, Building a culture of life in Iowa means getting families off to the right start, but two months of postpartum care isn't enough, Reynolds said in a statement issued after her proposal was approved by the Senate. Quote, Extending postpartum care to 12 months for women with the greatest need helps them recover from childbirth, access family planning services, manage chronic health issues, and address mental health. For our state to be strong, our families must be strong, unquote. Currently, Iowa pregnant women and infants and households up to 375% of the federal poverty level have postpartum care covered by Medicaid for two months. There are 10,800 Medicaid members in Iowa with postpartum coverage, according to LSA. Under the bill, according to LSA, postpartum Medicaid coverage would remain uninterrupted for Medicaid members at or below 215% of the federal poverty level. And 2,300 pregnant women per month would maintain their Medicaid coverage beyond the initial two months. 1,100 infants would shift from Medicaid to the Hawkeye Plan for children in low-income families. 1,300 women and 400 infants in Iowa would lose postpartum Medicaid coverage. Pregnant women who lose coverage would be eligible to seek insurance under the Iowa Health and Wellness Plan, which is Iowa's version of Medicaid coverage for adults up to 133% of the federal poverty level. According to LSA's fiscal analysis, the proposal would save the state $1.7 million in the first two years and then cost the state an additional $286,000 in the third and each year after. Three Democrats, Senators Eric Giddens of Cedar Falls, Sarah Trone Garriott of Waukee, and Zach Walls of Coralville joined all Senate Republicans in voting for the bill, which now is eligible for consideration in the Iowa House. Anti-Abortion Program A state-funded anti-abortion program to provide support to pregnant women and new mothers would be permitted to be run by the state under legislation approved by Senate Republicans. The Iowa Department of Health and Human Services would be allowed to operate the program known as More Options for Maternal Support, or MOMS, under the bill. The state has twice failed to find a third-party, nonprofit administrator to oversee the MOMS program, which was created in 2022. Previous requirements stated the administrator must have at least three years of experience managing a statewide network of providers of pregnancy support services. Trone Garriott called the program, quote, intentionally deceiving and dangerous because it is portrayed as a prenatal and postpartum health care program, but operates from an anti-abortion viewpoint. Costello said the program created, quote, another opportunity to support expectant mothers in our state, unquote. The bill, Senate File 2252, passed with only Republican support. 50-year-old UNI Applied Engineering Building, ready for students after facelift. Story written by Angela Sturm-McLaughlin, 
Dateline Cedar Falls. The world has changed dramatically over the last 50 years, but until recently, one thing had remained constant. The look of the University of Northern Iowa Industrial Technology Center. But that now has changed. Renamed the Applied Engineering Building, it has been transformed by a much-needed facelift and expansion. The facility is getting ready to welcome back students. On Tuesday, UNI officials showed off the $44.7 million renovation project, $40 million of which was funded with state dollars. The building has grown from 64,000 square feet to 109,000 square feet since ground was broken in June of 2022. Originally built in 1974 to educate shop teachers, the remodeled building is different with floor-to-ceiling glass walls that bathe rooms in natural light. The expanded facility will give students the space required for computer classrooms and laboratories while allowing them to work on real-world projects with industry-standard technology. Quote, We really wanted the entire building to look and feel like a classroom, explained Mike Zwangziger, UNI Assistant Vice President and Director of Facilities, while pointing up at the ceiling. Quote, We have a lot of wiring throughout the building that is labeled so the students can see how everything is put together. We also wanted to take into consideration the technologies of tomorrow by having the 3D printer and other tools, unquote. Lisa Rydell, head of the Department of Applied Engineering and Technical Management, said the entire building at 2900 Campus Street highlights the work the college does. Quote, before the renovation, a lot of people didn't know where we were. Now, we have these large windows throughout the building. These buildings and the sidewalks around the facility give us the opportunity to better showcase our work. Once we get the printers and everything in here, I'm sure people will be interested, Rydell said. The Department of Applied Engineering and Technical Management houses a variety of programs training students for the highest need jobs in sectors in Iowa. Majors include technical project management, manufacturing, engineering technology, construction management, graphics, and technology education fields. It's often hard to recruit quality applicants who are able to keep up with engineering technologies. Nate Bryant, assistant project manager at the UNI Metal Casting Center and Foundry 4.0 Center, said the new facility can prepare students for what is ahead in their field. Quote, We've gone through the fourth industrial revolution recently, which is tied to automation and using control systems to automate previously manual tasks. We are now teaching students to interface with the digital world instead of the analog world, Brian said. Quote, we are planning to have classes operating in this space the Monday after spring break. Movers will start to move the equipment out of the back labs and into the classrooms and then we will get everything connected, Zwanzinger said. UNI students will be completely moved into the new space by December. <laughs> Treyer woman arrested in husband's slaying in 2021. Dateline Treyer. A Treyer woman has been arrested in the shooting death of her husband in 2021. 
On Monday, officers with the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation and Tama County Sheriff's Office arrested Karina Sue Cooper, 46, at her home on K Avenue on a charge of first-degree murder. Bond was set at $1 million. Authorities allege Karina Cooper had told two others she wanted her husband, Ryan Roy Cooper, dead and could shoot him in the face. Then, on June 18, 2021, Tama County deputies were called to the home at about 4.35 a.m. and found Ryan Cooper in a recliner with a gunshot wound. Karina Cooper was sitting on top of him, court records state. An autopsy determined he had been shot twice in the face, and a spent 22 caliber shell casing was located nearby. No guns were found near the body. The investigation is ongoing. Anyone with information related to this investigation can contact the Tama County Sheriff's Office at area code 341-484-4111 or the DCI at 515-725-6010 or email dciinfo at dps.state.ia.us. New wedding venue opens in Transformed Barn, farmhouse outside of Waterloo. Dateline Waterloo. Ahava is the Hebrew word for to love, a fitting name for the Cedar Valley's newest wedding venue. Quote, Faith is important to us, and we value marriage, said co-owner Elisa Higgins. Ahava represents God's love for us, a couple's love for each other, the love of a family. It encompasses everything, unquote. In February 2023, Higgins and her partners in the venture, Sarah and Keith Mahapala, purchased the property at 1902 East Schrock Road and set about making their vision come to life. Higgins credits Sarah Mahapala with first broaching the idea of the business. Quote, it seemed crazy, but it kept growing and evolving, Higgins said. We wanted something different and unique. The three-acre property, surrounded by farm fields, is the former site of hilltop weddings. Quote, I've always had an interest in interior design, Higgins said. Any event she throws is always beautiful, Sarah Mahapala said. Quote, their strength is working with teams and bringing people together, Higgins said of the Mahapalas. They are super welcoming and I am more the behind-the-scenes person. It's a real team effort, unquote. This team has managed to transform a 110-year-old farmhouse and pole barn into a modern and tasteful event space and bridal party house, leaving few details to chance. The first hint at the feel of the spaces is the outdoor sign, a simple yet sophisticated wood and metal panel bearing its name. The bridal party house features a cozy living room, bridal suite with bathroom, updated residential kitchen with a large island and a back deck. And don't think the men have been left out. The moody, lower-level men's lounge boasts a bar, mini-fridge, large television, comfortable furnishings, and a pool table. The event space with a capacity of 200 is sleek and contemporary. The arch of the large windows is mimicked in the mirrors behind the bar. 
an assortment of sophisticated light fixtures, and beautifully appointed bathrooms complete the scene. Quote, we kept the original structure and expanded out, Sarah said. Quote, there was no foundation at all. We are trying to recycle and use what existed whenever possible. For example, the venue is repurposing wooden tables from the now-closed Verve Kombacha kitchen and bar. They have tapped the talents of local artists to add special touches to the spaces. Chris Wagner of Real Wood Furniture in Cedar Falls created the aforementioned sign out front and a live-edge wood counter for the men's restroom. Stephanie Fever painted murals in both the bridal suite and the women's restroom in the event space. The outdoor wedding space features mature trees, a large lilac bush, and lighting. Rental fees range from 4000 to 5750 depending on the time of year and day of the week. This includes the event space with bar with glassware, use of the bridal house, tables, chairs, linens, some decor options, set up and tear down of tables and chairs, and set up time the previous evening. The venue recently hosted its first event, a birthday party, with 150 guests. Quote, it was nice to get the first one under our belts, Higgins said. It was like dipping our toes in the water, unquote. Quote, we all have other jobs, Higgins said. Keith is a dentist. Sarah is a nurse, practitioner, and I manage a dental office in Cedar Falls. This is what we do on evenings and weekends. Quote, this is our blood, sweat, and tears, said Keith Mahapala. God gave us the vision. He brought us the right people at the right time. He gave us the strength. He is and always will be the reason we put our hands to this work, unquote. The transformation is nearly complete. Only finishing touches on the bridal suite and the landscaping remain. Quote, it seems like there is still so much to do, but we have co accomplished a lot and we are trusting our vision, Higgins said. I'm excited to see our couples make the space beautiful with their vision. Ahava will hold a grand opening from noon to 3 p.m. Sunday, featuring a ribbon-cutting, light appetizers, drinks, and live music. The event will showcase the venue's complimentary decor and tours of the bridal home and event space will be available. For more information, go online to ahavavenue.com or visit their Facebook page. And that's spelled A-H-A-V-A-H. And now, listeners, we're going to take a moment to remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, February 21st on IRIS, that's I-R-I-S, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and the Print Handicapped. Now, this announcement. I might not know you, but I still care about you. So if you feel hopeless or if you've been thinking about suicide, please talk to someone. A friend, parent, teacher, or coworker. If you can't talk to them or feel like you have no one there to listen, turn to Your Life Iowa. Things can get better. There are people who want to help you. Please reach out now at yourlifeiowa.org. Brought to you by the Iowa Department of Public Health. Now, let's turn to the opinion section.
Our first editorial comes to us from the Storm Lake Times pilot, editor Art Cullen. Who's winning now? Immigration far and away was the biggest issue in a New York special election Tuesday to fill a vacancy left with the expulsion of Representative George Santos, a Long Island Republican, for compulsive lying. Interesting that the Democrat won in a purple district on the edge of the Big Apple, where homeless refugees have become a hot topic. Tom Susie, who held the House seat before Santos, won by eight percentage points over Republican Mazi Philip, an Ethiopian Jew who immigrated from Israel. She ran against President Joe Biden in border mismanagement. Susie, the grandson of an Italian immigrant, pointed out that Biden embraced a bipartisan border compromise that was rejected by Donald Trump and House Speaker Mike Johnson, to whom Philip tethered herself. Voters took the pragmatic approach. They want solutions at the border, not more wars and people bound up in razor wire. Biden offered a compromise. Trump called it off because it might take away immigration as an issue for his presidential campaign. Philip walked in stride with Trump and Speaker Johnson, rejecting a much tighter asylum process with more funding for enforcement and deportation. Immigration advocates accused Democrats of giving in on human rights. Biden winced and sought a bipartisan deal. Voters noticed. Susie vastly outspent Philip. His family has a long history in local politics, so his is a trusted name in a district embarrassed by Santos, who had been an unknown. Voters were pragmatic. He is a conservative Democrat, a CPA who talks dollars and cents. Biden did not campaign for Susie, but the candidate said he stood with the president on immigration. He won. Immigration certainly is an urgent issue, a losing one the way Republicans are playing it. Voters trudged through a blizzard to the polls. Representative Randy Feenstra, a Republican from Hull, voted to impeach Homeland Security Director Alejandro Mayorkas. He is the first cabinet member in 150 years to be impeached. The Senate will reject the House articles as not rising to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. The secretary merely carries out the orders of President Biden. It was a stupid exercise that made no point whatsoever. We all know the immigration system is broken. Impeaching Mayorkas accomplishes nothing. That's par for the course with Feenstra and this Congress. They can't tie their shoes. The first impeachment vote failed recently when Speaker Johnson didn't count votes ahead of time. Of course, Feenstra is practicing the fine art of political hypocrisy. Bash immigrants at the pork feed with Ron DeSantis in Sioux County, while everyone in the party barn knows that undocumented Latinos are working the dairy barn nearby, and in the packing house and the dairy processor, and in the hog confinements and hen houses, spreading the manure and cutting the chops. The Republican Party's apparent nominee, Trump, declares that these hardworking people are poisoning our blood. He says he would deport them all. We guess Randy Feenstra would go along with the gag until the milking parlor quits pumping. 
people in Sioux Center, Storm Lake, Denison, and Esterville know how important immigrants are to their communities and the ag economy. Feenster does nothing to help normalize our new neighbors, nothing to help dreamers who are brought here through no choice of their own, nothing to help unions fold immigrants into the American culture, nothing for housing, just a vote for impeachment. Northwest Iowa voters suck it up and play along with the hypocrites who ride the backs of honest working people because it works for them. Keep them in the shadows with a boot on their throat. It doesn't sell everywhere and for all time. They weren't buying in New York this week. Iowa Republicans are all in on making criminals out of desperately poor people. The governor is relentless with her jabbering about the border. Legislators are trying to deny dreamers financial aid. Eventually, they have to step up and provide a solution or voters will get tired of their song and dance. Not everyone has bought into the system of exploitation, like Feenstra and crew. That was the note heard in the New York suburbs this week. Often, we don't get the message out here. Now for an editorial that appeared in the Des Moines Register, written by Randy Evans, who is a retired journalist. Brenna Bird talks about victims, but leaves reimbursement in limbo. Voters have busy lives. Families to care for, jobs demanding their attention, bills to worry about. So, they can be forgiven if they do not closely track their government leaders' statements and actions. Sometimes voters may find discrepancies between what politicians say and what they do. Here's one example. Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd was in the news last week with a statement about the need for Congress to replenish a federal program the Victims of Crime Act, that assists these people in a variety of ways. She was one of 42 state attorneys general, Republicans and Democrats, who wrote to the leaders of Congress, urging them to provide this important assistance. Quote, We must protect victims from being victimized twice, Byrd said in a statement. Quote, Victims have already been through enough with a looming 41% cut in the Victim Services funding, we're calling on Congress to ensure victims and survivors receive the support they deserve, unquote. With her statement, Byrd opened herself up to criticism that she is talking out of both sides of her mouth when it comes to protecting crime victims from being harmed again. Shortly after taking office in January 2023, Byrd stopped reimbursing sexual assault victims for the cost of emergency contraception. That was a significant change from the policy of her predecessor, Thomas Miller, but Byrd said she was temporarily making the change while her staff conducted a review of all of the state government's victim assistance programs. One part was not surprising, given Byrd's opposition to abortion. Under Miller, the State Victim Compensation Fund sometimes paid for abortions for women who had been impregnated by rapists. But less controversial was Miller's practice of paying the cost of the so-called Plan B medication for rape victims, because the emergency contraceptive, though not fail-proof, reduces the chance of pregnancy after unprotected sex. So there should be a few qualms among abortion opponents to state government helping 
sexual assault victims from becoming pregnant. To take the opposite position comes across as cold and uncaring for the teens and women who are victimized by rapists. Last April, Bird's spokeswoman, Alyssa Broilet, told Iowa Public Radio that as part of a broad review of victim assistance programs, the Attorney General was, quote, carefully evaluating whether this is an appropriate use of public funds, unquote. Bleeding Heartland reporter Laura Bellin asked Bird's office last week whether that broad review had been completed, but Bird's staff would not answer questions about the policy review or the Plan B reimbursements. These are not gotcha questions from a persistent reporter. The questions are logical, especially with Bird being critical of proposed reduction in federal assistance for crime victims. Her staff's refusal to answer such logical questions leaves critics to rightfully wonder whether the Attorney General is hoping people do not remember her controversial decision a year ago. Mark Stringer, Executive Director of the ACLU of Iowa, said in a statement last year it was unconscionable for Byrd to take away this emergency medical care as part of her policy review. Quote, Being sexually assaulted is traumatic for survivors, and the state of Iowa simply must do the right thing by them, unquote. This includes helping victims put their lives back together and assist them on the road to recovery. Instead, this decision penalizes and re-victimizes them, unquote. Stringer had no idea last year that Byrd would be talking 10 months later about protecting crime victims from being victimized twice. Foreshadowing the Attorney General's recent statement, Stringer said back then, quote, There is no room for politics during a crime victim's emergency. There is an important reason why the Attorney General may be eager to publicize the letter she and other Attorneys General signed, but is less eager to acknowledge whether her policy review has been completed and whether she is standing by her prohibition on reimbursing rape victims for emergency medical care. The Des Moines Register Mediacom poll showed last year that 61% of Iowa adults and 70% of Iowa women believe abortion should be legal in most or all cases. Even in a conservative state like Kansas, voters rejected an amendment to the state's constitution in 2022 that would have declared women have no right to an abortion. Beth Barnhill, executive director of the Iowa Coalition Against Sexual Assault, told the Register last year she hopes Byrd does not consider emergency contraception and abortion as the same, because emergency contraception is not the same as abortion. If a rape survivor has access to emergency contraception, then they would potentially not have to make that difficult decision about a pregnancy, unquote. I understand the frustrations of newsmakers when journalists fail to contact them when questions arise about the statements and views of those newsmakers. But it is equally understandable why reporters become frustrated when those political leaders dodge questions about important issues the officials are involved in. You should not be opining on the importance of Congress not re-victimizing crime victims 
when you yourself have engaged in what some people would see as re-victimization. A note, the author here, Randy Evans, is a retired journalist. Solutions are more important than political credit. This written by Rick Moraine of the Jefferson Herald. Congressional leaders for more than four months have been negotiating a major agreement to fund military aid for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, provide humanitarian aid to people in a number of nations and regions that desperately need it right now, and tighten security at the U.S.-Mexican border. Sounds like a big task? It is. President Biden proposed the package initially to try to bring supporters of each component together through a multi-pronged approach, figuring there were enough advocates of each portion to wield a composite bill that would pass both houses of Congress. And there's the rub. Because Biden wants it, former President Trump and his cohorts don't. Trump's MAGA followers don't want to improve the border situation this year because a solution would appear to give Biden a political victory. Trump wants the border crisis as a campaign issue. Last Thursday, Trump stated, quote, What is currently being worked on in the Senate will be meaningless in terms of border security and closure. He added that the, quote, only hope for a secure border is to elect him as president. The border portion of the congressional deal would make it harder for migrants to get asylum, would change the use of migrant parole, and would provide a way to close down the border on days when crossings reach a certain high level. All those provisions have been sought by Republican conservatives for a long time. Biden pledged to close the border on the day he signs the bill. But a significant number of Republican senators, after Trump slammed the deal, spoke out against it because it would remove a powerful campaign issue for the MAGA former president, even though those senators continue to wring their hands about the border situation. Senate Republicans are sharply divided on the proposal, and that puts Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell in a tight spot, although he personally is on record as supporting the bipartisan agreement he told his Senate GOP colleagues in a closed-door meeting last week that Trump's position changes the math for passage. McConnell was apparently not changing his mind about the proposal, but rather was acknowledging that Trump has made it an uphill challenge. In the closed-door GOP Senate confab, McConnell pointed out how far Democratic negotiators have moved toward compromise over the border issue. He noted that this is the first time Democratic proposals have not included demands for a path to legalization for millions of undocumented migrants now in the U.S. He went further to warn that if Trump were to win the White House in November, Democrats would return to demanding immigration reform in exchange for security at the border. Prospects for border improvement under that scenario would become bleaker. Some Senate Republicans are pushing back at Trump. GOP Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, the lead Republican negotiator, said, quote, There are some people that oppose the bill based on the presidential politics issue rather than the crisis that's actually occurring at the border, unquote. Some GOP senators 
said it in stronger language, like Senator Mitt Romney of Utah. Quote, the fact that Trump would communicate to Republican senators and congresspeople that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame Biden for it is really appalling, Romney continued. The American people are suffering as a result of what's happening at the border, and someone running for president ought to try to get the problem solved, as opposed to saying, hey, save the problem, don't solve it, let me take credit for solving it later, unquote. Democratic senators, like John Tester of Montana, pulled no punches. Quote, I think it's crap. We need to get that deal done to secure the border. If they want to keep it as a campaign issue, I think they need to resign from the damn Senate. Then there's the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, where Trump's opposition to the compromise has found advocates among a number of MAGA conservatives, and where House Speaker Mike Johnson is now questioning the proposal more strongly. So even if the bipartisan negotiators in the Senate find a way through the thicket, the bill would still have to navigate the growing opposition in the House. I hope the Iowa congressional delegation has the wisdom and foresight to support the compromise if and when they have a chance. The opportunity is unlikely to come around again. Biden, as president, could refrain from taking political credit for the agreement. He could instead emphasize that its achievement comes only through bipartisan support from statesmen-like members of Congress who put politics aside to stiffen the border, provide military aid to help fight aggression overseas, and do the right thing with humanitarian help for hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people around the world, who desperately need food, water, medication, and other basics. Biden could point out forcefully that neither party can achieve its goals by itself, and that much can be accomplished through cooperation and he could thank individual Republicans who helped the proposal succeed. That might not sit well with some congressional Democrats, especially those who hope to run against their do-nothing GOP campaign opponents. But it's evident that Republican help is essential for approval of the package, and those Republicans with enough courage to say no to Trump's political gamesmanship need to be thanked. Biden is the right one to express that gratitude. Now let's turn to the sports section. High school girls basketball. Number two, Waverly Shellrock punches ticket to 4A state tournament. Dateline, Waverly. Greg Bodensteiner knows how his team likes to play, physical and aggressive. The film showed Waverly Shellrock how aggressive and physical its opponent, Western Dubuque of Epworth, would play. Tuesday's 4A regional final was everything it was built up to be. Almost entirely a one-possession game for the first three quarters plus, the second-ranked Gohawks found a way to claw their way past the 14th-ranked Bobcats 43-37 Tuesday in a 4A regional final. The victory earned WSR their fourth state tournament trip since 2019. Quote, we found a way, Bodensteiner said. That about sums it up right there. It was a battle in all aspects. It was physical. It was aggressive. It was a grinded-out slugfest. 
Quote, Despite missing a whole bunch of free throws at the end, we had created a little separation and did enough to close the door, unquote. The Gohawks will be the second seed in the 4A field and will play Sioux Center in the quarterfinal Tuesday at Wells Fargo Arena. Quote, Incredible, senior guard Brenna Bodensteiner said. I have been literally working for the second grade, third grade, all these girls have. We've been in the gym together since then. This is an incredible feeling, unquote. From the opening whistle, it was a physical game with both teams playing tight defense and nothing was left uncontested. The Gohawks scored the first seven points, a pair of buckets by Sidney Brenneman and a three-pointer by Lizzie Frazzle made it 7-0. to zero. But the Bobcats hit right back. Brooklyn Furslaff and Lucy Ehlers hit back-to-back three-pointers as W.D. went on an eight-point run. The Bobcats led 10-9 to after one, but a Brenna Bodensteiner basket put the Gohawks up to 11-10, to and WSR never trailed again. Quote, they are really physical and match up really well with us because they have that six-foot-two girl and a really good point guard, Brenna Bodensteiner said. We knew we were going to have to defend the heck out of them if we were going to get a W tonight, unquote. Agena had six of her team-high 13 points in the first four minutes of the fourth quarter as led by as much as eight at 41-33. to Emma Thompson added nine for WSR, while Lizzie Frazzle and Sidney Brenneman each had seven. The Gohawks kept it interesting late as they missed six free throws in the final one minute and 18 seconds that could have helped seal the game after making 12 of their first 13 free throws in the game. Quote, The fourth quarter was really good for us. We missed a few too many free throws, but really pushed it inside, and Caitlin did an amazing job of finishing, Brenna Bodensteiner said. Next week, will be the seventh state tournament appearance for the Gohawks, the sixth under Greg Bodensteiner, and, but this group is looking for an extended stay in Des Moines. The Gohawks have lost their last four state quarterfinal games and have not won a first-round game since it beat Winterset, 67-45, in 2013. Quote, We have been there six times now, and we have only been able to stay around once for the second round, Greg Bodensteiner said. Quote, we are going to celebrate this and enjoy it, but I hope we can go down there and find a reason to stay around for a couple of days, Unquote. In college men's basketball, UNI freshman fits with Panthers' plans. The latest on injured Panthers and Illinois State preview. Story written by Ethan Petrick. Dateline Cedar Falls. Did not play. The designation DNP sat next to R.J. Taylor's name following pivotal wins for Northern Iowa's men's basketball team over Belmont and Southern Illinois. In the game prior to his back-to-back DNPs, Taylor played four minutes. He logged two minutes in the game after. However, when you and I faced Drake on January 27th without starting guard Bowen Bourne, 
the Panthers turned to the true freshman guard. The Grand Blanc, Michigan product managed a 24-minute workload and held his own against the Missouri Valley Conference's best. Following the game, a 77-63 loss for the Panthers, UNI head coach Ben Jacobson spoke highly of Taylor's performance. And now, listeners, I'm afraid that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, February 21st. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Remember, you can listen to a recording of this reading of the Courier or of the other newspapers around the state that we read. Just visit our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. <music>